the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The goal in marriage is not happiness. The goal in marriage is holiness. And sometimes people think, well, if I'm not happy, God wants me to just go ahead and be happy. That's what God's optimum desire is for me. And so I'm going to go ahead and and check out of the marriage because God would want me to be happy. And that just simply isn't true. God wants us to be holy. In holiness comes happiness. In holiness comes joy. Our pursuit should not be happiness. Our Our pursuit should be holiness. is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary's current message series is Answers to the Questions You Thought We Missed. There are many questions we can have regarding lifestyle choices. How long should I date prior to marriage? When is it okay to divorce my spouse? What if they are an unbeliever? These are hard questions we face in a secular-focused world. Today, Pastor Gary will answer these questions and more. Questions like, what is the real purpose of marriage? What if I am not happy in my marriage? Pastor Gary encourages us that God wants us to be holy in marriage, and in holiness can come happiness and joy. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message, Lifestyles and the Bible. Lifestyles and the Bible. This is the category where many of you had questions about relationships from dating to marriage to divorce to remarriage, issues on sexuality, sex before marriage, um, homosexuality, transgender, questions in terms of lifestyle and gambling, tattoos, alcohol. So we're going to try to tackle as many questions as possible. I will tell you up front that one of the, um, one of the dangers in tackling this particular category is that these are complex topics, some of them. It's a bit dangerous to try to answer a complex topic in a very short amount of time. I'm going to do my best, but I realize going into this that this is a a bit difficult, at least, you know, for me, um, to try to explain sometimes complex issues uh, in a very short amount of time. I'm also painfully aware that this is a topic, we're talking lifestyles, that will touch individuals in very personal ways. You talk about lifestyles, now you're talking about individual preferences, choices, and and the ways that we conduct our lives. And so I become painfully aware that this is 
somewhat delicate, awkward in the sense that I want to be careful to be gentle in the way I communicate, to be loving in the way I communicate, but at the same time also to be truthful. And, and I'm aware that, some, and you know this as well, sometimes as loving and tenderly as you try to present truth, it can inevitably be offensive to someone who doesn't like it or agree with it. This, of all the categories for me, is probably the most difficult because I don't want to intentionally offend anyone, uh, but this is not a, a philosophy or a sociology. This is a theology and a bibliology study. Referring to the Bible, you know, you've come to a church setting because we are uh, tackling topics from a biblical perspective and a biblical angle. And so you will obviously not necessarily get these kind of approaches and answers to these issues in a classroom somewhere, in some, some college classroom. We're looking at life and th this issue in particular tonight through the lens of the Bible. And so, you know, that's what we do here at Cornerstone. And that's hopefully if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, that that's, that's the way that you have oriented your life. You orient your life through the lens of the Bible, and that's what is your handbook uh, for how you conduct yourself, for how you, everything from how you raise your kids to manage money, to um, your sexuality, to everything. Amen. To that end, I'm going to do the best I can, but I want you to know up front that I am doing my absolute best to be loving and respectful in my answers in trying to address some of these very delicate uh, and somewhat sensitive questions. Some Christians believe couples should date for years before marriage, some months. What is wise in this day and age? Have we incorporated our culture too much into our dating processes? And then another question, uh, you've talked a lot about how husbands and wives should act, but what does the Bible say regarding dating other than abstinence? Some of this is personal, subjective, the way that, you know, I might personally interpret scripture and, um, and the way that that relationships go when people are Christ followers. So the big thing about dating, first of all, is I'm not a big proponent in long dating and especially long engagements. When you know that you know, get married quick. Now, I'm not saying in a haphazard way. I'm just saying when you know that you know, the big issue becomes then you're going to have sexual temptation. So, uh, by the way, someone asked the question, what, what does the Bible say about sex before marriage? The short answer is... No sex before marriage. The Bible teaches faithfulness in marriage and abstinence in singleness. And that's the way that we should submit our lives to God's word. But in terms of dating, I'm just not a big proponent of long periods of dating and, and long engagements because you can end up getting into some physical temptation, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 9. Uh, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now, that's the way King James ends it. That sounds like you're going to go to hell. But what uh, NIV adds, burn with passion. So it's better to get married than to burn with passion and be tempted. I guess, just real quickly, you know, what does the Bible say regarding dating other than abstinence? I think if you just put a lot of Scripture together, I would just recommend a few things. One would be quality time together, get to know each other, have times to understand each other's personalities, quirks, likes, dislikes, get to know their family. When you marry that person, you marry their family. Amen. You do. So spend time getting to know each other, have quality time in that regard, um, draw physical boundaries so that uh, you're not engaging in sexual activity. And then I would say develop the spiritual life between the two of you. One of the things that 
I was attracted to most about my wife was just her love for the Lord. And, you know, so we attended church together. We grew in the Lord together. And that was something that was important to both of us. Where are you spiritually? Where are you with the Lord? And so, you know, I'd recommend some, some simple things along those lines. But I'm just not a big proponent about long, protracted periods of dating and engagements. Um, you know that you know, or if you don't, then you shouldn't be dating them anyway. Just be friends. Now, along these lines, someone has said, can you become pure again after losing your virginity before marriage? Obviously not physically, but, you know, certainly in the eyes of the Lord, you know, everything that we do that is offensive to God can be met with his forgiveness. Ask the Lord to forgive you, and he uh, washes us uh, whiter than snow and forgives us and forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so um, he will see us as pure in his eyes in that regard, but obviously not physically, but yeah, of course, spiritually. Divorce and remarriage. This is a you know, a very difficult and, again, somewhat complex topic. I've learned over the years that there are many facets to uh, why people get divorced, and it's a very painful topic. It is in many ways like a death in the sense that there's a grieving process. There is a, a sense of loss. So there's all kinds of aspects to this topic. I'm going to give you four questions that people asked, and then I'm going to do my best to sew the answers together. Uh, What does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? Is it biblical? When you have an unbelieving spouse, Paul says, if they want to go, let them go and release them. Can you explain in more details? What can you explain about divorce? I am separated, but I am not sure to divorce. And then fourthly, is divorce a sin? So let me start with that one first. It is a sin. It's not an unpardonable sin. It is not worse than other sins, only in respect to the fact that divorce often has far-reaching ramifications. You know, some of our sins are pretty limited to ourselves. Divorce is one of those sins that is not limited to one person. It impacts more than one and oftentimes families. So only in the sense that there, it can be a more hurtful in terms of the ramifications, but it is not more egregious, okay? And unfortunately, sometimes we treat people like they have the plague who have been divorced, and that's tragic because we shame them in some ways like they are, you know, somehow less than individuals because they've gone through a divorce. It is something that is sin but should be met again with love compassion and forgiveness jesus talks in matthew chapter 19 verse 6 what god has joined together let no one separate it makes a pretty strong statement about the sanctity and the sacredness of marriage malachi 2:16 says that god hates divorce i think also because he hates the effects of divorce and how it can be so hurtful to individuals who are part of divorce the bible gives two biblical grounds for divorce Uh, Jesus talks about it in in Matthew 19, 9, where he talks about uh, marital unfaithfulness. We're talking about sexual sin, sexual immorality. That is a ground for divorce. And then Paul does reference, as this one question asked in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, that if you are married to a non-believer and and you're a Christian and the non-believer wants out of the marriage, you are free. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you should not fight for your marriage in regards to either of these grounds, okay? It isn't to suggest that if there is marital unfaithfulness in the marriage, you should look for a way out and you should be done. And it doesn't suggest that if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever wants out, you should just let him go and not fight for the marriage. To the degree that you, especially where there's been unfaithfulness, are not so hurt and betrayed that you can work through forgiveness and you can work towards restoration, I think that that's best. Obviously, it can be so painful that some people feel so betrayed, so hurt, uh, that they, it's just so painful that they feel like they can't stay married. So marital unfaithfulness, sexual immorality is a grounds. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. He goes on to say, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So in other words, you know, if you're a believer married to a non-believer, don't discount the fact that you have a witness that could bring them to Christ. But if you are married to a non-believer and the non-believer is like, I'm done, they can leave. And the reality is in the Commonwealth of Virginia, someone can pursue a divorce and you can't do anything to stop it. And there are many people in that situation too, where you want to stay married, but your partner doesn't. And... You can fight for it only so much, but somebody can pursue a divorce without you. So, again, there's all different kinds. Now, then you get into all these other issues like, well, what if it's not marital unfaithfulness? What if it's not an unbeliever? But what if it's like, you know, they're beating me or it's alcoholism or drug abuse? There are obviously different reasons why couples should separate. Sometimes those separations may be long periods of time. Ideally, separation is for the the purpose of reconciliation. But sometimes marriages are so damaged that they can't be reconciled. Having said that, I can't tell you anything more than Scripture tells us. And what Scripture tells us is that in regards to separation, still in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So the Bible makes allowance for separation for the period of uh, time in the hopes that there might be reconciliation, but the Bible doesn't give any more grounds for divorce other than sexual sin or an unbeliever who wants to leave. If there has been sexual sin or an unbeliever who wants to leave, then you are free and you are also free to remarry. For divorce, there's no biblical grounds for remarriage. Again, it becomes very complicated, and in some ways, I I don't even want to broach this subject because now I'm going to leave more questions than answers, perhaps. But many of you asked a lot of questions about divorce and remarriage. The goal in marriage is not happiness. The goal in marriage is holiness. And sometimes people think, well, if I'm not happy, God wants me to just go ahead and be happy. That's what God's optimum desire is for me. And so I'm going to go ahead and and check out of the marriage because God would want me to be happy. And that just simply isn't true. God wants us to be holy. In holiness comes happiness. In holiness comes joy. Our pursuit should not be happiness. Our Our pursuit should be holiness. There are some marriages that are really suffering. And people, out of respect for their vow and out of commitment to the Lord, hang in there. And God will honor you for that. There are other marriages that have been horribly wounded, betrayed, and there's been sexual sin, and there's an unbeliever who leaves, and and there is the possibility for divorce. Um, There is the possibility for remarriage. 
And I have to always have to add this. As I say these things, some of you, I can hear the wheels turning in your head because some of you are thinking, well, I didn't know that. And now I'm in this relationship and I'm in that relationship. And, and now, and I didn't know what you're saying. And now what? What you're in right now is God's will. That's what. I had a guy many, many years ago, doesn't go to Cornerstone, it was when I was a youth pastor many years ago before I became pastor here, who was married, divorced his wife, remarried, and had three daughters. Then he divorced that wife and went back to his first wife. And he was a Christian. And he said to me, I should never have divorced my first wife, so that's why I'm divorcing my second wife, leaving my, I'm just telling you, and leaving my daughters and, and my second, and going back to my f- first wife. I said to him, he carried a weapon too, so I, I had to be very gentle. I said to him, news bulletin, you may have done the wrong thing in leaving your first wife, but this is God's will for you now. You're in another marriage with three beautiful daughters, and you have to commit yourself right here, right now. You, we can't go back and undo and think, well, if I just undo what I did wrong, then I can make it right. When you find yourself in the situation you're in, you have to, to seek God for that now. And don't beat yourself up over, well, I should have done this and I should have done that. And I, maybe I need to go back to this person. It gets so complicated. You just need to say, okay, this is where I am now. This is what I've come to learn now. And this is where I have to honor God now. And so it's about, you know, seeking holiness, not always about happiness. All right. Maybe you'll text in some questions that I didn't do so well on that, but let me move on to some other questions. This has to do with lifestyles, just, you know, how to conduct yourself. We'll take this after that. Uh, what does the Bible say about tattoos? I get this question every year. There's one verse in the Bible that talks about it, and this is the verse that people want to know. About. It's Leviticus 19.28. It's the only time the word tattoo is mentioned in the Bible, but it's only in the NIV. And it says this, Leviticus 19.28, Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Now, King James verse says, You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. So that verse does not apply to the modern tattoos that people get today. The tattoos and the cutting that the Canaanite people did back in those days is what God said to his people, I don't want you to be like the Canaanite people. They would cut themselves and they would put marks on their bodies, and IB says tattoo, to as a mourning process for the dead. That's what pagan Canaanite people did. The bottom line was God was saying, don't be like the Canaanite pagan people who are honoring the dead and mourning their dead in this way. So unless you're getting all tatted up because you're honoring the dead, that verse doesn't apply. I understand people put tattoos in memory of a loved one. I don't mean it in in that sense. The Canaanite sense was this was a ritual in their sacrificial practices and in their ritualistic pagan ways that they would bury people. So it's different from the reason people get tattoos today. I think it just comes down to personal preference. I don't think it's a dishonoring thing as long as you feel like that, um, you know, you're not convicted by it. I think it's one of those things where, you know, 
everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial, and you just have to decide for yourself, is this a beneficial thing and a permissible thing for you? I always do kind of wonder, this is just me, I just always wonder, like, you know, what that, the image of that person or what those words are going to say when you turn 80 and your skin's all sag now, you know, but that's just me. What does the Bible say about interracial marriage? In Numbers chapter 12, God gets angry with the brother and sister of Moses. Because it tells us in Numbers 12, 9, that God got angry. And why? Numbers 12, 1 says that Miriam and Aaron, the sister and brother of Moses, complained about Moses' Cushite wife. Now, Cush is Ethiopia. So Moses had an Ethiopian wife, and his brother and his sister were mad about it. And God got angry at the brother and sister over that. So much so that Miriam, he made leprous. She had leprosy. And then Moses cries out on behalf of his sister. This is the Hamrick paraphrase. God said, she'll be all right. Just put her outside of the camp for seven days. She'll be okay. I just wanted to scare her. <laughs> but Acts 10, 34 and 35 says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Revelation 5, 9 says, And with your blood, Jesus, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. There's no problem with interracial marriage. The only problem that God has is intermarrying believers with non-believers. That's what you see through the Bible when he talks about his people separating from pagan people. That's God's only concern about marriage in that regard. Uh, but racially, God accepts all people from all nations, all tribes, all languages, and interracial marriage is not an issue. Now, it might be a cultural problem that you will encounter if people don't accept your interracial marriage. And obviously, we still live in a world where there's still plenty of racism and still plenty of people who are bigoted in that sense. And so you might have difficulties in the way some people, unfortunately, will receive you, but there's nothing in God's word that prohibits interracial marriage. People had a lot of questions about parenting. Three questions real quickly. How on earth do you raise God-seeking, loving, following children in our society today? Here's another. There are so many books about parenting and schooling choices. Which would you recommend? And what are good passages in the Bible to help give wisdom in raising unruly children? I'm no parent expert. I would just recommend a few things. Pray a lot. Prayer works. Pray a lot. Make family devotions a regular part of your family life. Um, you know, Terry was wonderful about, about at dinner time. That was the time where, you know, we pulled out the Bible, and she often was the one who's, let's have family devotions. And, you know, when your kids are really little, the goal is maybe we can get through family devotions without anybody bleeding. You know, that's the, that's the first goal is just maybe they'll just sit here and listen long enough. It can become a fun family time at, uh, after dinner just to have some devotions together, pray together. And, you know, I just say live and love close. You know, keep your kids close to you. Make sure that they bond with you and you with them because to the degree that they are bonded with you and, of course, supremely bonded to the Lord, they will be less likely to be interested in the ways of the world. It is difficult. You just really need to seek the Lord and pray a lot. Um, you can do the best you can, and still some kids go off the rails, and you've done nothing wrong. And some parents don't try very well at all, and their kids grow up to be God-fearing, loving people. So, you know, sometimes it's just outside of our control. There's no one formula for it. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 is a passage that always 
spoke to me when we were raising our kids. It, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. We'd like to spend more time with you today on Cornerstone Connection, but sadly, we've run out of time. If you missed part of today's message or would like to explore more from this series, you can do so at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Subscribe to our podcast while you're there so you never miss another edition of Cornerstone Connection. You can even take these teachings with you on the go when you download our mobile app. Life is busy, and sometimes fitting in a quiet time becomes a challenge. Well, with the Cornerstone Connection mobile app, you can turn on biblically-based teachings wherever you are, whenever you have the opportunity. Find a link under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. The questions Pastor Gary has been tackling in this series are ones that are important, especially in today's world. Each topic affects not only how we view the world, but also how we interact with the Creator of it and of us. Do you still have questions about what you heard in today's message? If so, we'd like the opportunity to speak with you and pray with you. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in today to Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.